Welcome to Walk by Faith. Our program is on the book of the Apocalypse or the Revelation to John. My name is Gordon Peck. I'm the Director of Evangelization Programs for Adults at St. Malachi Church. As in all things, let us begin a prayer. In the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you gave us your Son to bring your word into our world. Open our hearts that your will might enter into us and motivate us to share what we learn with a world struggling for meaning. Holy Spirit, guide us in this Bible study and lead us to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Okay, the book of the Apocalypse or Revelation to John. This is part one. There will be four parts. Part one is chapters one through four. So the book of Revelation is one of the most difficult books of Scripture to understand. Apocalypse is a Greek word that means unveiling or revealing, but much about Revelation seems obscured and hidden. In fact, the fathers of the church and the early church councils debated which books should be admitted to the canon of Scripture and which did not meet the criteria. The book of Revelation was hotly debated at these church councils and was no shoe-in for inclusion. The Apostle John is generally credited as being the author of the book of Revelation. While serving as the bishop of Ephesus, John was exiled by the Romans to the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, which was just offshore from Ephesus. And while imprisoned on this island, an angel appeared to him on the Lord's Day and invited him to come up here and see how we worship in heaven. So our Lord Jesus Christ appeared to John in this vision and instructed him to write down everything he sees and share it with the key seven churches in his diocese and also with the whole world. So in John chapter 21, verse 20 to 22, we read that Peter turned and saw the disciple following whom Jesus loved, the one who had also reclined upon his chest during the supper and had said, Master, who is the one who will betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? And he meant John. So Jesus said to him, what if I want him to remain until I come? John was the only apostle of the original 12 to still be alive in the year 90 AD. This is when the book of Revelation is written. The book of Revelation contains an account of visions recorded in symbolic and allegorical literature after the manner of the Old Testament books, uh, similar to Ezekiel and Daniel and even Zechariah. The symbolic descriptions are not to be taken as literal descriptions, nor is the symbolism meant to be pictured realistically. One would find it difficult, and perhaps a little repulsive, to visualize a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Yet Jesus is described in precisely these words in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And John uses these images to suggest Christ's perfect, or seven, seven is the number of perfection, power, which is horns, and knowledge, which is eyes. So every image requires such understanding. So a significant feature of apocalyptic reading is the symbolic colors, metals, garments, and numbers. For instance, four signifies the world, northeast, southwest, four. Six symbolizes imperfection because seven is the number of totality or perfection. And then 12 is the number of Israel's tribes, or the apostles, and has great significance. And 1,000 means immensity, multitudes. It's meant to be a large, large number, not necessarily exactly 1,000. 
Now, vindictive language is also to be understood symbolically and not literally. There are cries for vengeance on the lips of Christian martyrs in later chapters that we'll read about that sound so harsh, but they are in fact literary devices the author employed to evoke in the reader and hear a feeling of horror for the apostasy and rebellion that will be severely punished by God. Now, the outline of the book of Revelation is as follows. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 3 is a prologue. John uses prologues in, in his uh, epistles and as well as in his gospel. And then the letters to the churches in Asia uh, go from Revelation 1, verse 4 to chapter 3, verse 22. After that comes God and the Lamb in heaven, uh, the fourth and fifth chapter of Revelation. And then we start to see significant symbols, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven signs, and beasts, evil and the lamb, and bowls. We'll see how bowls are, are, uh, are used. And then also the battle of Armageddon, which is in, uh, I believe, chapter 20, 16, 16, verse 21. Now, the punishment of Babylon and the destruction of pagan nations is also talked about and, again, is symbolic. And then the new creation, uh, the new earth, the new heaven, the new earth, is in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And finally, there's an epilogue, or ties it all up, uh, in uh, Revelation 22, verses 6 through 21. So that's the order of the book. Now, the key to understanding the book goes... It comes from this. John is told, John writes in the first chapter, he says, I was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a voice as loud as a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see. So much has been written and speculation varies wildly among Christian churches and authors on the meanings of the various images in the book of Revelation. And there's been a cottage industry of video and other speculative publications that's capitalized on sensational images, beasts, battles, devils, all kinds of things. But the early church fathers knew the key to understanding the revelation was to be found in understanding the Holy Mass and to see liturgy written on nearly every single page. And we'll explore that over the next three parts of this uh, program. Now, reading from Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, we read, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must happen soon. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who gives witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ by reporting what he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud, and blessed are those who listen to this prophetic message and heed what is written in it for the appointed time is near. Now, there are, within the book of Revelation, seven beatitudes. Beatitude is a blessing. Uh, they are progressively more emphatic. John uses a series of seven readings to emphasize a thematic point, and each reading increases in importance until the central theme is complete. An example, blessed is the one who reads aloud, and blessed are those who listen to this prophetic message and heed what is written in it, for the appointed time is near. So the book of Revelation is unique in that it's the only book of the Bible with a direct blessing promised to those who read, hear, and obey the truths it contains. God will bless those who spend time reading. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. 
And that comes from James 1.22. And that's a good thing to remember as we read the book of Revelation. So let's continue now with verse 4. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, who has made us into a kingdom, priests for his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I, John, your brother, who share with you the distress, the kingdom, and the endurance we have in Jesus, found myself on the island called Patmos because I proclaim God's word and give testimony to Jesus. I was, in other words, John was arrested for being a Christian and exiled to this penal colony. And then he goes on to say, I was caught up in the spirit on the Lord's Day, Sunday, and heard behind me a voice as loud as a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And where are those churches? Well, here's a map to give us an idea. Right in the middle of the screen, you might see Ephesus, and it's marked with a star. And just below that, you'll see out in the the Aegean Sea, the island of Patmos. The other seven churches are all indicated on this this map. John was the bishop of Ephesus, and all of these churches were in his diocese. Uh, He was imprisoned on, on Patmos, which right there. Okay, now... The letters to the churches, and and the first one is to Ephesus, and this is what this is an excerpt from that letter that gets at the gist of what uh, the message was. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this: the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of seven gold lampstands says this: I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate the wicked. Yet I hold this against you. You have lost the love you had at first. Realize how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the victor, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life that is in the garden of God. So Jesus is speaking directly as a vision to the people in Ephesus. And then to the church in Smyrna, he says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this, the first and the last, who once died but came to life, say this, I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who claim to be Jews and are not, but but rather are members of the assembly of Satan. Do not be afraid of anything that you are going to suffer. Indeed, the devil will throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will face an ordeal for ten days. Remain faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The victor shall not be harmed by the second death. And we'll find out what that second death is later on. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write this. The one with a sharp two-edged sword says this. I know that you live where Satan's throne is, and yet you hold fast to my name. Yet I have a few things against you. You have some people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who instructed Balak 
to put a stumbling block before the Israelites, to eat food sacrificed to altars, and to play the harlot. Therefore repent. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the victor I shall give some of the hidden manna. I shall also give a white amulet upon which is inscribed a new name, which no one knows except the one who receives it. To the church and Thyatira. To the angel of the church and Thyatira write this. The Son of God, whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like polished brass, says this. I hold this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, who teaches and misleads my servants to play the harlot and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her harlotry. So I will cast her on a sickbed and plunge those who commit adultery with her into intense suffering unless they repent of her works. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the church in Sardis, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. The one who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. I know your works, that you have had the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen what is left, which is going to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. The victor will thus be dressed in white, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name in the presence of my Father and of his angels. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Church in Philadelphia To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write this, Because you have kept my message of endurance, I will keep you safe in the time of trial that is going to come to the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may take your crown. The victor I will make into a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never leave it again. On him I will inscribe the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God as well as my new name. To the church in Laodicea, to the angel in the church of Laodicea, write this. The angel, the faithful and true witness, the source of God's creation, says this. I know your works. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will enter into his house and dine with him, and he with me. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, the persecutions of the early church, these issues described in the life of the seven churches is reflective of the turmoil of their situation in the last days of the first century. Persecution up to and including murder was inflicted on the church by Jews, by Romans, and by others uh, throughout the, the region in this period. In fact, within 500 years, all of these churches would be annihilated by Islamic culture, which swept through this area with military force. But read within the context of the Holy Mass, these passages follow right after the introductory rites with a call by the priest to worship, and in fact are consistent with the offering of the confidior. So what's the confidior? What's the penitential rite of Mass? The sins of each of the seven churches are remembered and atonement is prescribed. Jesus has told them what they must do. 
Now, liturgical items and notations are identified in these writings, but you have to look for it. The seven stars in his hand, that's the eternal high priest, who is the eternal high priest, but of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. The lampstands signify the altar. The tree of life, communion with God. The hidden manna, Eucharist. And then the temple of God is the place of worship. And the new Jerusalem that was mentioned, eternal life. And then knocking at the door is salvation. So the book of Revelation is divided into basically two halves, chapter 1 through chapter 12 and chapter 13 through 22. And the Holy Mass is divided into two halves, the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. So every element of the Mass is inherent in Revelation, which is as the angel told John is how we worship up here in heaven. Remember, that's what he said to him in the very first uh, verses. Blessed is the one who reads aloud, and blessed are those who listen to this prophetic message and heed what is written in it. What is central to the Mass is, of course, sacrifice. So on sacrifice, if we turn to Hebrews chapter 7, or yes, chapter 7, verse 26 to 27, we read that it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, higher than the heavens. He has no need, as did the high priests, to offer sacrifice day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. He did that once for all when he offered himself, of course, on Calvary. Jesus is the eternal high priest, and he's presiding over the mass in heaven. He is once again high priest and sacrifice. So, excuse me, a sacrifice once for all when he offered himself means perpetual, eternal, not repeated. You cannot repeat something that does not end. So every Mass is a representation of the holy sacrifice of Jesus. But how was this revealed to humanity? Well, Jesus transformed the Passover Seder when he met with his disciples in the upper room at the outset of his passion. He took the Passover Seder and he transformed it into the Holy Mass. And sacrifice was an integral integral part of worship going all the way back to the time of Adam. Adam was the first high priest. And the Garden of Eden was a sanctuary, and the first family was a domestic church. Now his son Adam made a fitting and proper sacrifice to the Lord. We read, while Abel for his part brought forth the fatty portions of the firstlings of his flock, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. And then in gratitude for surviving the flood, Noah built an altar to to the Lord, and choosing from every clean animal and every clean bird, he offered burnt offerings on the altar. You can find that in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. And then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Salem means peace, the king of peace, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High. He blessed Abram with these words, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High. So Melchizedek is the first person identified as a priest in sacred scripture. And that's back in the book of Genesis. And Melchizedek offered bread and wine for the sacrifice. We should start to see the connection here. He blessed Abraham and he praised God. Genesis 22 verses 1 to 13 is the testing of Abraham. 
And how did the Lord test Abraham? Well, he asked him to take his son, his only son that he'd waited so long for, to a place known as the Mount of Moriah, and there sacrifice him to the Lord. And Abraham placed wood on the obedient shoulders of his son Isaac and told him to climb the mountain. Abraham tied his son's hands and prepared to sacrifice his only son. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord spoke to him and called out to him to stop. A ram, a male lamb of God, was found with its horns caught in a thicket. And what's a thicket? It's a thorn bush. So Abraham and Isaac obeyed the angel and sacrificed that ram instead of his, his son. So what do we see here? We see him climb the mounts of Moriah. Where's Moriah? That's where Jerusalem will later be built. Who else carried wood on his shoulders? Of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. And the, and the, the ram or the lamb of God has its head caught in a thicket crowned with thorns. So we should see the sacrifice clearly here. And then the books of Moses. The, we had the ten plagues. And the final plague is the Passover of the angel of the Lord. And all of the Hebrews are told that they must sacrifice a lamb, roast it, and eat its flesh. Every family must do this and share the lamb with each other. And when the people of Israel were released from servitude to the Pharaoh, they were told to observe this Passover annually. And the Lord told Moses how to conduct a sacrificial worship service and what liturgical items were required. And Jesus called his disciples to the upper room to celebrate the feast of the Passover, and he transformed it. And this is what he said in John chapter 6, verse 53 to 57. Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. And then Luke chapter 22, verse 15 to 18, we read, He, Jesus, said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I shall not eat it again until there is fulfillment in the kingdom of heaven. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you that from this time on I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took the bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which will be given for you. Do this in memory of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which will be shed for you. And Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 to 8, he says, Clear out the old yeast, so that you may become a fresh batch of dough, inasmuch as you are unleavened. For our paschal lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So 
there were ancient Jewish practices uh, in different types of, of uh, sacrifices. There were three types, as a matter of fact. The first was the burnt offering, or the ola, and that was when uh, all of the animal was burned up as an offering holy to God. The second was the sin offering, or the hatat, and that's when half the animal was immolated, and the other half was eaten by the priest for the expiation of his sins. So half for the people, half for the priest. And then there was the peace offering, the shalamim. And there, some of the animal was burned, some was consumed by the priest, and the rest by the offerer and his family. So somebody had come and brought the lamb as sacrifice. And so that family would partake of it. Then there's an old rabbinic teaching that says, in the coming messianic age, all animal sacrifices will cease, but the thank offering, the todah, will never cease. And a todah sacrifice would be offered by someone whose life had been delivered from great peril, such as war or disease. It was the greatest, perhaps, of all of these uh, sacrifices. The redeemed person would show his gratitude to God by gathering his closest friends and family for a todah sacrificial meal. And the bread and wine would constitute the elements of the sacred Toda meal, which would be accompanied by prayers and songs of thanksgiving, quite often Psalm 116. In the time of Moses, the Hatat sacrifice was prominent, but by the time of King David, the Toda was in more frequent use. And Toda in Hebrew means thanksgiving. And what's the Greek equivalent of that? Eucharistia. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, And there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world now belongs to our Lord and to his anointed, and he will reign forever and ever. The twenty-four elders who sat on their thrones before God prostrated themselves and worshipped God and said, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who are and who were, for you have assumed your great power and have established your reign. That's Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 to 17. But furthermore, on, on sacrifice, in Hebrews chapter 7, we read, You are a priest forever. To the same degree has Jesus also become the guarantee of an even better covenant. Those priests were many, meaning in the Old Testament, because they were prevented by death from remaining in office. But he, because he remains forever, has a priesthood that does not pass away. Therefore, he is always able to save those who approach God through him since he lives forever to make intercession for them. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, as we return to Revelation, says, After this, I had a vision of an open door to heaven, and I heard the trumpet-like voice that had spoken to me before, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen afterwards. At once I was caught up in the Spirit. A throne was there in heaven, and on the throne sat one whose appearance sparkled like jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a halo as bright as any emerald. Surrounding the throne, I saw 24 other thrones on which which 24 elders sat, dressed in white garments and with gold crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. Seven flaming torches burned in front of the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. In front of the throne was something that resembled a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, there were four living creatures, covered with eyes in front and in back. The first creature resembled a lion. The second was like a calf. 
The third had a face like that of a human being, and the fourth looked like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, were covered with eyes inside and out. Day and night they do not stop exclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They throw down their crowns before the throne, exclaiming, Worthy are you, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. Because of your will, they came to be and were created. So an open door is an invitation. The Lord calls us to himself at all times. And a throne worthy of the king of kings. That's what John saw. And he saw seven lampstands. Seven, remember, the number of perfection and also the number in a menorah. Seven spirits of God. These are the angels who stand before God. And 24 other thrones. These are the 12 tribes of Jacob and the 12 apostles of the Lord. And the sea of glass, like crystal, resembling the vision in Ezekiel. And then those four living creatures, like seraphim, also seen in the vision in Ezekiel. The lion, the ox, the human being, and the eagle. These symbolize, respectively, what is noblest, strongest, wisest, and swiftest in creation. And they are also symbols of the evangelists Mark, Luke, Matthew, and John, respectively the four Gospels. The subsequent chapters of Revelation are filled with dreadful visions of creatures and destruction that seemingly predicts an ending for the world and all in it. But the open door in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 is the true message of the revelation that John witnessed. It is all about the opening of our lives in grace to the love that the Lord has for us. Revelation is not an ending, but a beginning. So in summary, what we learned is that John the Apostle, the disciple that Jesus loved, is a prisoner on the island of Patmos during the persecutions of the Roman Emperor Domitian. And Jesus speaks to John in a vision and tells him to write down what he sees and he hears. And the Lord speaks to the angels of the seven churches in John's diocese. This term was not yet in use at that time, but that's how they were organized. And each church is assessed and they're told what it must do to remain in communion with the Lord. Now, John is told to come up here, that is, come up to heaven, and see how worship in heaven is conducted. And he sees Christ, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, and other signs and symbols. And understanding the Holy Mass is helpful in understanding the meaning and intent of the book of Revelation. So let us end in prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Peace be with you.